0: It's probably not what all the cool kids are doing these days, but what I found is generally the simpler your tech stack, the better, because it's it's easier to scale. So if it's a if it's a popular framework like something like Laravel, or if you're in another language, there's there's plenty of big frameworks out there. The the good thing about it is there's a lot written on how you scale it. There's a lot of expertise out there. If you do need to bring it in, the way I generally think about it is we're we're in a monolithic structure, but we still write microservices. So. If we've got something that's better written in some other language, then we'll write it in that and have it integrated into our a monolith. My name's Dean McPherson. I am CTO and co-founder of Paperform.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Dean McPherson was inspired to build the best tool around when building a farm for a friend. All this and more on Code Story. Dean McPherson, you guessed it, has always been interested in tech. Though, unlike many of our guests, he taught himself how to code after he finished his degree... In music and philosophy he has a small family two little boys and his wife is not only his partner in life but in business as well he loves the idea of fishing but doesn't really go much and he is a well-rounded musician but most interestingly he plays the didgeridoo in 2013 Dean's friend asked him to build a registration form for his business he was baffled that he would ask for something like this given there are solutions out there for this sort of thing However, after searching for options, he couldn't find anything to recommend. In 2016, he and his wife set out to build something to solve this problem, something easy to use that doesn't require coding and offers a well-rounded, branded solution. This is the creation story of Paperform. So Paperform, in
0: its simplest terms, is a form builder. You're probably aware if you're listening, there's a lot of form builders out there we think of ourselves as playing in the the no-code space, so it's a form builder, but you can use it for lots of creative things. We're not restricted to just surveys and quizzes. People use this for all kinds of use cases, from event registration through to client onboarding, through to you know lead generation and all those kind of classic form use cases. I suppose the gap we saw in the market when we first launched Paperform was particularly around uh, event registration. I had a friend who runs a weekend kids club kind of thing, like a holiday program for children. And he asked me to build a registration for him back in about 2013. And I was like, why Why on earth are you asking me to do this? There are so many form builders out there. But when I had a look, I couldn't find anything that I would recommend that would allow him to have a form that captured all the information that was required because it wasn't a trivial amount of information. He needed, you know, parent-guardian information, dietary requirements, who the kids were friends with. You know, 30, 40 questions per child that could actually take payments. And that looked like his brand because he had a bit of a brand around this program and he didn't want it to, you know, come in and just have this very generic form. So, there that, that were the three prongs that were missing in the market. Uh, there was definitely some players that do parts of those, but nothing that really offered a rounded solution that you could make your own form with. So Paperform was born. And we've obviously grown a lot since then and found out that there's a whole lot more gaps <laughs> in the form builder space for something that is a well-rounded tool that allows non-technical people
1: to build their own cool solutions. So tell me about the MVP. Tell me about that first product you made. You know, it sounds like a, a form for a friend, we'll, we'll call it. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So that form for a friend was actually just the
0: inspiration. So I built that way back in 2013. What, when I would say we built paper form in 2016, our MVP was, I mean, we were, we were saying, this is an inspiration point from where we have started, but let's have a go at building something bigger. I sat down and <laughs> started writing an MVP. My background is very front end heavy in terms of tech where we're very much a react shop. Back end, we are, a little bit all over the place, but our primary app is Laravel, which is PHP, which I've used in the past in previous jobs. And when you're first getting started, it's really it's really great if you have a solid basis in what tech you're using because you don't want to be learning tech at the same time you're trying to figure out what you're building. The more things you can have pre-answered, the better. I built our MVP kind of in three months uh, while we're working full time. We're both working full time. Just got up an hour early every morning and wrote something. I found that to be a really helpful way to just keep everything moving. Even if I got up and I got nothing done, the next day you generally would. So you just maintain that steady momentum and <laughs> eventually got to this stage where we had... It was a really raw MVP, our first MVP. was It was polished, so it looked good and it felt really nice to play with, but it was very restricted in terms of what features we offered. So I think that was about August 2016 that we were like, okay, this MVP's at this stage where you can really use it to make a form now. It obviously doesn't have everything that we'd ever want to be in it, but it's at this stage where we need to get it in people's hands. So we put it up on beta list. From that, we actually got approached by AppSumo. Some of your fellow Texans reached out to us and um, asked, us if we, <laughs> asked us if we'd like to run a deal with them to launch it. So we said, yeah, why not? We're at that early stage, this is our first business and we had no idea whether what we built was even going to be interesting to anyone else. Launching with an AppSumo deal was was really valuable for us because it, it brought us something like 3000 people who bought a lifetime deal into the product. And then you all of a sudden you have that many active users in your product screaming at you for features. So <laughs> that was our refining process of how we went from MVP to polished product was a lot of people trying to use the product at once. <laughs>
1: On the MVP, what sort of decisions and trade offs did you have to make where you're getting up that hour early and you're building it? What features were you cutting? What decisions were you making to kind of hold off on building things a certain way in order to build it faster? And how did you cope with those decisions?
0: So a lot of what I, I really wanted to create around paper form when we first started was a really fantastic editing experience. So. It's something that I think gets missed a lot, maybe not so much these days, but definitely back when we were always first starting paper form was was thinking about how people are actually going to use your product and if they were going to use it a lot, how you could make that you know more efficient and more more useful over time. So our editing experience was heavily inspired by like the Medium Editor. This is a content publishing website, but they they were popular around the time for a place to blog. And they were one of the first people to do that kind of block style text editing where, you know, it's like writing a word doc but then you can insert images, you can insert content. It's very, what you see is what you get, document based. And I was really heavily inspired by that. And it made me think, what if something like form creation wasn't you know, your classic drag and drop experience, but was far more this kind of rich document creation experience. That's what we were striving to create when we first started. There's so many different features which people want out of forms We we made sure we ticked off the ones that were really important to us early on so you know we wanted our forms to be engaging so you could add images change the typography have headings and text and add questions that was about it i think we could send emails on our first mvp so you could send at least a summary to yourself maybe a summary to someone else no integrations which again for form builders is pretty rough because Generally, you capture a submission and you need to do something with that information. So not having any integrations early on was definitely a, a pain point. But we, we obviously had very clear vision at that stage of all the big missing things that we'd want to add. But we really needed to get into people's hands just, just to tell whether people actually
1: wanted it or not <laughs>
0: at all. Especially coming into such a, a crowded space in
1: terms of mindshare. So I, I understand this, the decisions and trade-offs and what you're basing the early product off of. And then you mentioned you got into the hands or into this ecosystem of AppSumo that got you a bunch of users, right? How did you progress the product from there? How how did you mature the product and how did you figure out what the next most important thing was to build?
0: So at that stage, the business was just my wife, Dionne, and I. We quit our jobs kind of March 2017. So we were, there was a, a little bit of overlap of, of working full time and trying to run paper form at the same time. But from really early on, what Diony really focused on in the business and, and pushed as a priority, which wasn't my natural tendency, but I'm so glad she did, was live, well, as live as possible customer support. So doing live chat on site. We talked to our customers pretty much all day every day which gives you a pretty a pretty clear idea of what pain points people are feeling in your product and and nothing really beats that and that's why that's why i really like to talk about that app deal. deal as really foundational in that early part of our business because actually having people in your product who have paid money to be there makes such an incredible difference in the quality of feedback you get i'd mentioned a little bit earlier that we launched on beta list we got something like two or three hundred beta testers out of that but the feedback we got from them was in, in my opinion, pretty useless. Mostly because people that sign up to something like Betalist are the kind of people that are, they're early adopters. So they're not your target market, really. They're people who like to play with new technology. Because they're not really your target market, they're not actually trying to use your software. They're trying to, they're trying to think about it. So they'll, they'll tell you what they think and they'll tell you like, oh, this might be nice to have, but they're not actually trying to solve problems in their business. Somebody who's paid a small amount of money for a lifetime deal though, to actually use the software within their business, they're going to tell you when, hey, I can't send emails or, hey, I I really need to integrate with ActiveCampaign right now or whatever's important for their business need at that time. The, the quality of feedback is so much more valuable. So there was it was actually really easy, I think, because of the volume of people to determine what were the really big things that were missing in the product. So... For that first, I'd say probably year, nearly year and a half after launching paper form, it was it wasn't a tough call to figure out what to build next. The, the trick was just building it. So we added something like a significant feature a week for the first like 50, 60 weeks. Every every newsletter, every week was, hey, we've got a new feature for you, which was. An incredible way of actually growing the business as well, because people got really excited about this momentum of, oh man! Every time I get an email from Paperform, there's there's a new feature being added, and obviously we can't sustain that forever. But it was a really beautiful way of of growing the product from something that was polished but feature incomplete to something that's a, a whole lot more rounded.
1: So it's you and your wife in the beginning. You started this, you launched it, you went full time, but then you had to grow your team. How did you go about building your team, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses?
0: When we first started Paperform, the intent was really to run it as a lifestyle business. So we were we were kind of hoping early on that we would be able to just manage it ourselves, and that we would grow to a size where we could, you know, pay our own salaries, work from home. We've been remote from day one, which obviously makes sense when you're a two-person team and you are married and live together. Um, <laughs> We actually hit this stage mid-2018, so we have been running paper form for like a year and a half and we'd kind of hit that goal. We, we were running the business pretty well, just the two of us, but the business was still growing and it was starting to turn into more work than two people could handle. So we, we hit this tension point where we were like, things are really good now. <laughs> we could either put the, put the brakes on growth and try and actively slow down how the business is growing so that we can keep it at a size that we can manage just the two of us or we need to actually get help and and reevaluate the idea of this being a lifestyle business. Late 2018, we decided that we were going to give up the lifestyle idea and actually run People Perform as a legitimate business, so to speak. Not that a lifestyle business is not a legitimate business, but but actively trying to grow the business, which is when we decided to start hiring. In terms of who we hired and and how we hired, uh, we started working with a consultant in marketing who ended up being an employee. So he consulted with us for six months or so before we hired him. We actually started consulting with him for him to help us find a good growth hire because neither of our backgrounds are in growth. So he was doing some growth work for us and then consulting with us to help us find our first growth hire, which he did. So he wasn't our first growth hire. He helped us hire hire our first and then we ended up bringing him on board too. That was a really helpful way of, of hiring him because obviously we got to kind of work with him up front for six months before we even pulled the trigger and brought him in as an employee. By the time he came in as an employee, we knew him very well. We knew how we worked together. Other than growth, we also have brought on another developer who happens to be my brother-in-law, which certainly also makes life pretty easy because I've known him for 10 years or something like that. and. You know, all all those relational aspects of, of working with someone are a whole lot easier when you when you know somebody that well, and are a lot less of a gamble. But in general, when we're hiring, we are looking for really attitude above skill set at this stage in our business. I think it's really important. As we're, so, we're we're about ten employees now, and and the way we we've. we've decided to focus on that is these people really need to take ownership of their roles. So we need people that are are self-motivated, really excited to work, we're remote, so having people that can kind of manage themselves to a degree is really important because you can't micromanage from the other side of the world. It it doesn't work and it shouldn't work. If you do have somebody on the other side of the world, you need them to be relatively responsible human beings um, (laughs) who who are willing to manage their own enthusiasm for their work. So attitude, I think has been really a, a deciding factor for a lot of our hires. Obviously some hires require a skill base, but it, if you gave us two people and one person's attitude was slightly better, but they were less, slightly less technically able, we would pick attitude over skill any day of the week.
1: You, know, you focused on fit and I like what you said, attitude, because that can encapsulate a lot of things really over, over skill. So I, I totally get that. Let's dig into some technical bits a little bit and talk about scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently in the beginning or were you fighting this as you grew?
0: It's probably not what all the cool kids are doing these days, but what I found is generally the simpler your tech stack, the better because it's it's easier to scale. So if it's a if it's a popular framework like something like Laravel or if you're in another language, there's, there's plenty of big frameworks out there. The the good thing about it is there's a lot written on how you scale it. There's a lot of expertise out there if you do need to bring it in. So we haven't really had any structural design problems with scaling our business at all. We we migrated hosting in like 2017 from DigitalOcean over to AWS, kind of to enable a whole lot more of the AWS ecosystem, which helps us scale out as well. But generally, the way we, we handle our design is with scaling in mind from the ground up. So we do a lot on, on Lambda these days, if, if we're doing any component of our ecosystem that needs to dynamically handle quite a bit of load, then we try and push it into a serverless environment. But our primary app stack runs just on EC2 instances, that's been generally pretty manageable and fine. We might consider changing our infrastructure at some stage, but but I, I doubt it'll, there'll be any application level rewrite or, or, or big pieces of work there. It's, it's all been pretty manageable.
1: And so you're using PHP, Laravel in the backend, that's right. And you're on a monolithic structure right now.
0: Yeah, so we're, the way I generally think about it is we're on we're a monolithic structure, but we still write microservices. So if, if we've got something that's better written in some other language, and especially if we can run it in a serverless environment, then we'll write it in that and have it integrated into our, our monolith. So our monolith is kind of our control center, which I, I think is, it would still fall under the monolithic pattern of application design, but... It allows us to have our cake and eat it too. It's, it's, it means we've got a, a fairly simple infrastructure level as well. We don't need to worry about orchestrating thousands of services to, to offer our product. It, it means if you just need to do something quick and simple and PHP, then you can do that too.
1: Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across what you've built with Paperform, what are you most proud of?
0: I'm really proud of, of what we've built And I'm really proud of the team that we're growing. I really love the people who work with us and we all get along really well. And I'm really loving the culture that we're building piece by piece. I think one of the most rewarding things I see when I look out across our business is really our customer base. When you actually build something and then you see thousands of people use it to actually solve problems in their own businesses, it's really rewarding. We actually, we offer not-for-profit organizations, pay what you want. So we actually see quite a few not-for-profit organizations come through and use us for like a dollar a month, which is completely awesome. But that gives us these amazing stories of people coming in and, and scaling out, you know, sometimes really boring infrastructure things in their businesses and sometimes really exciting campaigns. But, but regardless, it's, it's really awesome to know that something that, that we've taken the time to, to put together is valued and used to do really amazing things. Like one really cool story we did a case study on a couple of months ago when it was probably like a month or two into the pandemic and this software agency in, I think they're, they're somewhere in Germany, started using paper form to make online booking forms for florists. So his, his local florists obviously had to shut their doors. So he was was just making them forms and giving them to them essentially for free. They were doing, you know, thousands of dollars of sales through these free forms and keeping their German forestries afloat during this crazy time. And it's, I mean, that's so rewarding. What we've built can actually make that kind of a difference in some random forest in Germany. I'm really proud of that.
1: Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: We make mistakes all the time. I think, as definitely, in strategy, like we'll we'll explore a partnership and get to this stage where. Here's an example. So, Swap so Sumo was was a really fantastic way for us to launch. If we went to them, they would be very happy for us to run another deal, and there and there was, that was definitely tempting early on to to kind of get onto that that deals bandwagon. AppSumo ended up launching a subscription service called Briefcase, which we are actually a part of. So it's it's like a SaaS bundle. You pay AppSumo a certain amount a month and it gives you access to a bunch of software solutions. And, and that's completely fine. They're, they're a great company and they're, they're doing great things. But we found the value association of the brand of AppSumo to be detrimental over time. So we, we definitely don't want to be associated with deals going forward because it. It certainly portrays a certain level of value in your product if you're always trying to sell it for the lowest buck possible. While it wasn't a mistake launching with AppSumo, it's definitely been one of those things that we've we had to reevaluate over time about how we want to portray ourselves in the market. We don't want to be viewed as the cheap form solution or the budget form solution, mostly because that doesn't reflect the product. The product's of great quality and we want people to think that it's all great quality. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, it's interesting that you say that about the deals package, and I think that's true. There's, a, there's an impression there that can be had, and a product can be labeled as such. So that makes a ton of sense that you kind of wanted to move away from that. So what does the future look like for your product and for your team?
0: We've still got heaps of product vision. We're at this stage where we're releasing on a much slower cadence because we've obviously got a lot more existing product to support. We're being a lot more intentional about what we release. So we're definitely not in that, <laughs> like we were in the early days, releasing a new big feature every week. But I think over time and as we've grown the team, we've got a much better at reflecting on what it is we're exactly trying to do as a company and how we'd like to get there. And that's all all pretty flexible. So. The overarching vision of of our of our business is really to enable non technical people to build their own solutions to their own problems, and Paperform as a product fits really well within that vision. But we would love to, you know, build auxiliary products. We would love to continue to expand our forms product to open up even more possibilities about what people can can use it for, and a lot of that's also around the people themselves. So. Unlike a lot of technical products out there, a lot of people who come to use us are small business owners that don't really have a huge amount of experience using SaaS products at all. So we are heavily investing in things like customer support or customer success, whatever you want to call it. And and actually up training our own internal people to, to help our customers figure out how to build their own solutions. So we've got some amazing support people that spend most of their day talking to customers and a lot of what they're talking about is these very in-depth business use cases which, you know, they're, they're helping them guide through the technicality of how they can set that up with some of our more advanced features. Trying to bridge that gap between where an end user's expertise might end and where they want to be. So a lot of education uh, and a lot of time spent trying to help them get to their to their solution. I think between those two things, between where we want to go with the product and really trying to support our existing and new customer base as best as we can we've got our work cut out for us
1: sounds like you have a lot on the plate that you have in the vision which is which is important and good for the future let's switch to you a little bit dean um who influences the way that you work Uh, name a ceo cto architect or really any person name a person you look up to and why
0: I'd like probably a lot of entrepreneurs out there. I don't spend a lot of time reading or thinking about how other people work. I think I probably did when I was younger, but I think a lot of the way I work has been picked up via osmosis from previous bosses in previous jobs and different aspects of that. So my first boss was a fantastic salesman, great at client management. Taught me a lot about managing expectations and how to, how to handle people, <laughs> which is I think something that a lot of developers in particular don't get. In, especially if they've you know work straight for larger corporations, they get protected from the people side of business. Which if you want to run your own product, then you know more of my day is spent handling people than it is writing code. And then in a a few other roles, I I learned, I suppose, more more straight up productivity things. So really thinking about, you know, when are you productive in your day and how can we prioritize that as an organization? A lot of those problems go away when you're not in an office. Like as a programmer, I found it harder working in offices where you're around a lot of other business professionals that, you know, are, are far more prone to water cooler chat or that quick coffee break or just coming up to you at any time and asking you questions. You know, I don't wanna be one of those developer prima donnas, but I think we all are to a degree where <laughs> where when you're really focused on something, you like, to, you like to not be disturbed because you don't wanna lose that train of thought and have to start again. So definitely learned a lot from those two roles. I suppose in terms of more popular or known external thinkers, Seth Godin had, had an impact on me pretty early on. Uh, I think somebody gave me one of his books a year or two before we, we launched paper form. I think before I started thinking about it, and, and Seth Godin definitely jogged my thought processes into action in this case, I, I, I kind of assumed that the classic model of being an employee was the safest, most stable way forward in life. It really questioned the modern, I suppose, the modern economy and how safe a job is and how de-risked it actually is to start your own business, which, which in our case has been really true. So like we've bootstrapped paper form from the ground up we didn't sell our house to fund it. We didn't go knocking on all of our family members' doors asking for cash to fund it. We were, we were able to do it with two people and a bit of elbow grease. And, and a lot of that, I'm sure, is market timing. And I'm a developer, which does, which is probably a, a bit of an advantage. In general, I think it's, it's never been easier to start a new business and requires way less upfront capital, requires way less upfront expertise or experience. Seth Godin definitely made me re-evaluate what's the, the most st- stable career path going forward kind of kicked the legs out from under me a little bit by, by making me question how stable working for other people would be forever. And I think that's probably even more true t- today than it was five years ago. And I, I can't see how it would change anytime soon.
1: So if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: In hindsight, everything's 20-20. <laughs> so, so it's really easy to say, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that or I would, you know, th- there are definitely some architectural problems in our code base, which I would go back and do differently. Nothing that's going to cause significant pain, but definitely things that I'll go, oh, why, why did I design it that way around? Um, <laughs> why did I name it like that? So there's definitely lots of small things that I would go back and do differently. I, w- I would probably hire earlier bringing other people in who are actually focused on areas of the business that you want strong in so for us that was that was definitely growth and marketing it was really healthy for the business and really healthy for us because it's when somebody else isn't doing it you're thinking about you're thinking that you should be doing it and you're half doing it but you're not very good at it if you are able to hire people into into those roles then that's great which is is something that we're still adjusting on how to do well The the way we generally hire is we wait to the until it gets so painful that we need to put somebody else in that position. (laughs) So yeah, hiring earlier, I think is something that I would definitely do
1: uh, if I had a time machine. Last question, Dean. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They really think it's going to be a game changer. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit
0: There'd be a couple of pieces of advice I'd give. One is who's your customer and how are you gonna get to them? (laughs) A a, a lot of builders in particular, myself, one of them love the solution, but not so much the problem or not so much the person who's experiencing the problem. If they were sitting next to me and they built something, I would be very curious to know how they're actually gonna get it out into the market, which is probably the bigger piece of the puzzle in in a lot of cases. Other than that, uh, I think really healthy pieces of advice is stop listening to advice to a degree. I think if you're going to be successful in a lot of business, you really need to make sure you've got good critical thinking capabilities. You need to be able to make decisions on your own. So relying on third party advice or mentors, I don't think it's unhealthy. I think it can be a crutch for a lot of early entrepreneurs thinking that they need that next level of seniority or advice or wisdom to, to really tell them how to do things. A lot of business that we found is, is common sense. Try and think about why people would suggest the things that they do and and, and and when you're working with other businesses, know that business is business and people are going to do what's, what's in their best interest. Make sure you really you really try and think for yourself before you let other people tell you how you should be thinking. That's something that I think we've we've actually done really well. You know, when we launched Paperform, the, the dominant media around how you would start a business like ours is you would build an MVP and then you would shop it around at every VC firm within flight distance until somebody gave you a huge check and then you would try and scale it up within 18 months or and it would crash and burn or you would make a billion dollars. Um, <laughs> we, we definitely went the more grow-it-yourself bootstrapped Way and, uh, and and I wouldn't change that, especially for our first product, because it gave, it gave us the pace to be able to figure out what on earth we were doing as as we were doing it without the added pressure of external stakeholders, you know, looking for a return or looking for a quick buck.
1: No, that's great advice. Well, Dean, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for being on Code Story and telling the creation story of Paperform.
0: Amazing. Thanks, Noah. It's been awesome.